I'm talking about worship this morning, and um, I'll be absolutely honest with you, I didn't, I didn't feel like worshipping this morning. I got in the car, great, backed back to turn the car around in our drive, and water had come in under the, um, the sunroof, which then went... <laughs> so I, I drove to church this morning sitting in a puddle. Because uh, it came straight down the front, and uh, it didn't look good at eight o'clock this morning, did it, David? Fortunately, I put my robes over the top, uh, but I promise you, it was water off the. I, I wasn't in the mood because uh, I, I just wanted to go home and change and all the rest of it, but I couldn't. But actually, just coming into the Lord's presence changes everything. Absolutely changes everything. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about worship being that worth-ship, where it's an attitude or an action that ascribes value. That's what worth it, worship is, an attitude and an action. That action may be a, an action of service, it may be a lifestyle thing that is worship. Of course that's worship. But it also might be the action of singing. The action of proclamation, the action of speaking out the words of the liturgy. But it's also the attitude of heart. Because um, words without the heart are empty, aren't they? We've all heard the, I'm sorry, which really, really doesn't mean I'm sorry, does it? You know, that I'm sorry, which means, oh, shut up. Leave me alone. But the, oh, I'm just so sorry. Okay. There's the right attitude. It's the attitude of heart that matters. In the Old Testament, worship is so... Morning, gentlemen. Don't draw attention to the people who are late, Lord. That's not a good idea. <laughs> they've been there. They've just been waiting to come in. Bless you guys. It's good to see you. It really is. The Old Testament often defines worship by what it shouldn't be. See, I can't tell whether... See, it's, it's weird. On, guys online, it's weird because I can't tell whether these lot are asleep or confused. <laughs> or both. Or asleep because they're confused. So the Old Testament often defines worship. If you've been doing the Bible reading podcasts with me, over the last few months, the prophets go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about worship, but about the worship of idols. You try reading Jeremiah and Ezekiel back to back and not feel slightly depressed at some points, because <laughs> Israel, and not just Israel, but they have a go at the countries around and call, call out the worship of idols and say, this is not worship. So they're defining worship by what it isn't. This is not worship, the worship of idols. Don't panic, I'm not going to bang on about idols this morning. We've talked about those quite a lot. But if you, if you think I bang on about it, read the Old Testament for a bit. Yeah, they talk about it a lot more. 
The Old Testament defines worship as not the worship of, of idols. Actually, it's when you're free from the, that worship that there's an act of worship to Yahweh. It's turning away from, for, for us, the worship of money, the worship of family, the worship of church rather than Jesus, the worship of whatever it is. As we turn away from, then that's where the attitude starts to change. And we see worship come. But worship is nothing else but a verb. It's something we do. It really is something we do. It comes out of an attitude of heart, but it is definitely something we do. This whole thing about, well, I have my faith and I keep it quiet, is just an utter lie of the enemy to, to, to shut people up. And that's before we go into pandemic, you know, <laughs> before we can't sing out loud. Be grateful if you're at home, you can sing out loud. You know, but actually, soon and very soon, we're going to come together and sing to the Lord. I know that's not the actual words for the next bit, but soon, it's, it's coming. It's coming soon. And we'll be able to release those, the words of crowning with many crowns or a Bethel song or both together. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Who'd think a, 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 you know, a, a really modern chorus, an old hymn, would fit together beautifully? Of course they do, because it's worship. It's worship. That verb often has something to do with bowing down. I'm going to come to a particular word in a minute. But that sense of bowing down. If you go back to the ancient cultures, people would come into the presence of those in authority and would bow down on their knees and, and back out of their presence, often on their knees. And that sense of... I want to be careful here because I don't want anybody to put themselves down, but that sense of recognising the greatness of the one whose presence they're in. It's not about putting yourself down. It's about seeing how amazing the one whose presence we're in. And of course, the cultural thing with the king, with the, the, the leader, would be to bow down before them. And there's that sense in worship. Roman culture, actually, the Caesars, after Augustus and going forward, often were seen as gods. And therefore, they were worshipped, even in their lifetime. I'm not saying do that. I'm saying that's where we get that sense of bowing down. What it is, really, the bowing down thing, is getting rid of our pride and our sense of position. I'm entitled. I'm entitled to my say. I'm entitled to this, to that, to whatever. The other sense in worship is not just bowing down, but a verbal proclamation. And I could preach about words having power, but we've talked about that and we'll talk about it again. But words have power. So actually, to worship has power. Is Jesus Lord whether we say so or not? Yes. But if we say it out loud, it changes the atmosphere. Because we're actually agreeing with it and we're hey, no, Jesus is Lord. Now we know that. 
Is Jesus saviour for you? Is he saviour for the non-Christian outside? But they don't know it yet, do they? So how can they know unless somebody tells them? So we have to speak it out. We have to speak it out. So worship is verbal, sung, spoken, screamed, whispered. It's, it's, uh, because it's got to come out. And actually, there's an Old Testament word for worship that means dancing. I, have, I said to the 8 o'clock this morning, next time we have Book of Common Prayer, we'll set it up so they can dance. Then I decided that wouldn't be good for my knees, let alone anybody else's. But there's nothing wrong with dancing. The scripture says David danced before the Lord. And if the king can dance, why should we get so up ourselves that we can't dance? So worried about what people think. I will be more undignified than this, says David, the man with his heart after the Lord. So we dance. Most of us, of course, in church dance like this. Because we, we move to the music. Henny, I could get... No, don't worry. I could get you... Some people dance and dance, exactly. And sometimes we watch Eliza dancing at the front. I've watched... Uh, well, here very early on, Kirsten and Hannah did a dance to a... It's, it's awesome. When people can dance and you watch them dancing freely to the Lord, it's... I, I look and go, oh, if only I could. I was just standing. <laughs> At least I do it in time to the music. You know. <laughs> but actually, there's movement. So there's bowing down, there's verbal expression, and there's movement. There's so, it's a whole body thing. It's a whole personality thing that we worship. Worship isn't just for Sunday singing a few hymns and saying a bit of liturgy. Worship is the whole of life. But what I want to focus on this morning, briefly, is just one of the New Testament words. Oh, I love the word enthusiasm as well. You do realize worship should be enthused. Oh, I don't know about that. We're English here, you know. Apologies to those of you that aren't English. But you know, we, don't, we don't do enthusiasm. It's a bit too much, isn't it? I want to be over the top. Well, if you don't worship enthused, you're not worshipping. I'm not saying you need to jump around. I'm not saying you need to be over the top. But the word enthused, if you take its Greek root, en theos, means in God. So all worship is enthused. And if it isn't, so if you've ever said, oh, I don't do that enthusiastic worship, You've actually said out loud, I don't do that worshipping God. Oops. Maybe don't say it again. <laughs> and again, enthused for different personalities looks different. For an introvert or an extrovert, whatever, it looks different. For this extrovert compared to another extrovert, it looks different. It doesn't matter. There's more than one way of being a lion. Yeah? But it's got to be enthused. The New Testament word I want to look at is proskuneo. Have I said that right? I don't know, but I said it confidently, so therefore that's how we're going to say it from now on. Proskuneo, which means to come towards to kiss. 
And that's the key for today. It's about intimacy. Worship is about intimacy. To come towards, to kiss. And I know I've read hundreds of books on worship because I've been a worship leader. I've been the worship leader for a church that I wasn't the leader of. I've been the worship leader for a church that I was the leader of because nobody else was around to do it. And now we've got... uh, much better musicians doing it, which is fabulous. Um, you know, Johnny and Alice lead beautifully. And I love the fact that we come into the Lord's presence and Johnny doesn't really quite know how. <laughs> and I'm not, that's not putting him down at all. It's just, it just happens. And that makes it even more special because we don't, we don't make it happen. You know, and Johnny will tell you there are other times when you think it's going to happen and it doesn't. And you pray and you sing and you just play and sing and the worship's a bit odd. But other times, you know when you come into worship, into God's presence in worship, when you feel that, it's beyond words. It's just beyond words. And there's an intimacy in it all. As soon as I use the word intimacy, I don't know what images come to mind for you. There's nothing sexual in the in the New Testament word proskuneo. Maybe it's the intimacy of um, husband and wife, or boyfriend and girlfriend, and and it's an intimacy. And I and I can, I'm not talking about physical intimacy, but there is something physical in it. Uh, that it's the closest person you're ever the per- the person you're ever closest to is your spouse but still not as close as you are to Jesus right now. Chris is saying, keep going. <laughs> Am I moving about? Do I, do I keep disappearing or something? No. Keep going over there. Because there's loads of people sitting over there and I want to talk to them. <sighs> so now I'll go this way just to confuse you. <laughs> Maybe it's an inter- intimacy between parent and child. Your mum's out there, you know, if you've held a child to your breast, it's it's very intimate, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. You know, and when your child comes, snuggles up, and just because they feel safe with you. That's dads as well. And that's whether they're 4, 14, 24, 44, whatever it is, they come. And there's an intimacy. But it's still not as intimate as we are with God. Or sometimes there's an intimacy between friends. You can talk to some people the way you can't talk to anybody else. And there's a level of intimacy. I've got a couple of mates. We won't see each other for ages. Actually, in the last year, we haven't seen each other at all. But when we're together, it's like we were together yesterday. And it just it's there. And it doesn't matter. That level of intimacy is still not as intimate as we are. Jesus dwells in you, not alongside you. He dwells. How more flipping intimate are you going to get? He dwells in you. And this word proskuneo that means come to forward, come forward to kiss. If you read different commentators, it can mean different things. 
And as ever, I don't want it to mean one of these. I want all of them, please. Yeah? I'm greedy like that. I don't want an either or. I want both. Well, in this case, all three. One, and I guess some of you have heard this one, it, it means to come to for forward to kiss the feet of. Again, like that bowing down before the king. To kiss the feet of, to pay homage to. And yes, there's something about the word. So we recognize the almighty is not the almighty. If you've not heard that one before, I'm sure you've heard that one before. But he is still the almighty. He's the Lord of lords and king of kings. So we come before him and he is the king of kings and he's the transcendent, omnipotent God. And we come to kiss his feet. But another way of translating the word proskineu is to come forward to kiss the hand of. Yeah, if we weren't distancing at this was the point, I'd be going forward and taking someone by the hand. Yeah, and there's something intimate about that. There's something close. There's something affectionate. There's something... The third definition is to come forward to kiss the cheek of. And of course, in a Middle Eastern culture, to kiss both two men, to kiss each other on the cheek, both cheeks probably, what's the problem? It's only us British that are tied up with all of that. You know? Men used to walk around holding hands. Did you know that? They still do it in the Middle East. They still do it in Africa. Correct, Martin? First time it was done to me in Africa, I nearly freaked out. Because, but my cultural stuff was getting in the way. So you don't do it. We stopped holding hands in this country just after the Oscar Wilde tri trial for homosexuality. Because nobody wanted to be seen to be... We lost something. So do we come forward to God to kiss his feet? Yes, to kiss his hand. Yes, to kiss his cheek. Yes, that's what he means. I want to just do two biblical images. We've got Genesis 3, 7. Uh, Marcus, have we? Oh, hello, he's back. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. No, I've given you the wrong reference. I'm sorry. I think I wanted Genesis 2, 7. The the, the, do take that one down, because <laughs> that's not the one I wanted. <coughs> nothing sexual about it. I've got a reference up about being naked. Oh, dear. <laughs> the one about him, that's the one, 2-7. Thank you. The Lord formed the man out of the dust from the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. Now, if you're sitting with somebody, <clears throat> try and breathe in their nostrils. You can't, you've got masks on. You're doing it at home. Kids, go and try and breathe in your mum and dad's not. They'll love it, won't they? <laughs> How close do you have to get to breathe in someone's nostrils? How intimate is that? Anybody here done the, the whole, <coughs> what's it called? CPR, is it? Anybody done that? You're training, yeah? Pretty close. And, um, you know. Very intimate, isn't it? 
from the very moment of creation, God is that intimate with us. He breathes. This isn't, here you go, Peter. It's not from a distance. This is, I won't do it, I promise. This is coming up really close and breathing. How intimate is, are we designed to be with God? This isn't just creation. This is his breath of life. This is the Ruach. This is the word that is for the spirit. And here the spirit brings life, just general life. And of course, the spirit comes on people during the Old Testament. And God breathes into them. And then the wind comes at Pentecost and pneuma of God. The breath of God. And it's intimate. It's not. It's intimate. It's an awesome image. John 20, 22. Please, God, this is the right one. This is Jesus with his disciples. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And again, I don't believe that's him standing here and going, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that's him coming close, just using that image, echoing those verses from Genesis. He breathed on them. This is John's version of Pentecost, of course. He breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. An intimacy in our created design we are designed to be intimate with God while he is transcendent and omnipotent and all those things. He is intimate with us as well. The technical word is imminent. He's transcendent and imminent. This is one of those things again. Is it this or is it that? Yes. It's both. Is he the great creator God, the pan creator, the one over the whole universe? Yes. Is he the one that breathes on us and is that close and dwells in us? Yes. And actually, the fact that he dwells in us and he's that transcendent God makes it all the more, technical phrase coming, wow. That God, and then, he, oh, really? That's why we have tongues to worship sometimes because we're lost for words. Because the wow is there. What, it, what does God breathe on us in Genesis 2, not 3, and John 20? Life, peace, power. Power to live. All of that above. Can I have John 13, 25? Can we leave this one up? Is that all right? Thank you. This is the passage where the disciples are eating together. They're reclining on couches because that's the way... And it says that John is reclining next to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, one of you is going to betray me. And he's going to dip the bread and hand it to Judas. It's that, that's the context. But at, at this point, Jesus is saying, one of you is going to betray me. And Simon Peter looks across at John, the beloved disciple, it says, who's lying next to Jesus and goes, ask him who he is. Ask him who it is. You, you're next to Jesus. You ask him. He'll tell you. You're the beloved disciple. And then it says, 
leaning back against Jesus. He asked him, who is it? So let's leave, can we leave that up? Is that, it's dis- sorry, it disappeared on the screen back there. Wait, don't worry. Leaning, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, who is it? This leaning back against Jesus, the two of them are reclining on the, those couches. So if he leans back, he actually leans across and puts his head on Jesus' chest. It's an image of intimacy, isn't it? It's closeness. And if you put your head against somebody's chest, come on again, if you're here with your spouse, put your head against, one of you put your head against their chest. What can you hear? The first thing you hear is his voice. Because if Jesus wants to whisper it, you can hear the voice much more intimately. So you draw close, you get closer, you can hear more intimately. But then if you shut up <laughs> and just rest with your head against Jesus' chest, you hear his breath. You hear his breathing probably next. So you hear the breath of Jesus, the breath of God. Oh, hang on. Just talked about that, haven't we? So you hear the breath of heaven. And then you hear the heartbeat. And Jesus is God, and it's the heartbeat of heaven that you hear. Worship is leaning back against Jesus. Yes, proclaiming. Yes, doing. Yes, all that stuff. But also that intimacy of leaning back against Jesus. If you're thinking I've heard this before, if you remember the School of the Prophetic, we actually talked about this. But you lean into Jesus and you hear his voice. You hear the whisper. You hear the breath. You hear the heartbeat. And the heartbeat has a rhythm. I'm assuming Jesus didn't have arrhythmia. I'm assuming he had a normal heartbeat. And you hear the heartbeat of heaven. You hear the rhythm of heaven. In fact, Matthew, so Marcus, the next one, the one from the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out in religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. Lay your head on my chest and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The rhythm you hear will be the unforced rhythms of grace. They're the two images of intimacy. Worship without intimacy is hard work, even potentially becoming a work rather than grace. It becomes striving. We need to stop recognizing he's here. Shake off all that would all that would hinder. Ask him to breathe on us, just as in Genesis and John, and lay our head against his chest we're about to come into a time of worship and that's all I ask you to do whether you're online or whether you're here just lay your head against Jesus' chest lean back into Jesus he might speak to you he might just breathe on you you might just hear his heartbeat 
He might put his arms around you. He might change something for you. He might give you revelation. He might not. He might just want you to be with him. I, I don't know. But what I do know is he wants us to lay our head on Jesus' chest and lean back. As we lay our heads on Jesus' chest, we hear his heartbeat. The beat of the heart of heaven, the life of God, the rhythm of heaven, the unforced rhythms of grace. Let me pray and let's come into his presence. Lord, we pray that all distractions around us, phones, people, whatever, would just disappear. Lord, we'd be so consumed with your presence. Lord, that we'd be lost for words. Lord, we shake off that which would entangle. And Lord, we lean back, Jesus, onto you. We lay our head on your chest. Hold us, Lord. We choose to worship.